This is a Charles Russell Speechley's podcast. Welcome to the Charles Russell Speechley's podcast, following the story of Chris, a Brit, and Sam from the US. We explore issues faced by this international couple and their businesses and assets in a US to UK cross-border context. Before they're happily ever after, there's a lot they need to think about, and we will stay with them in good times and in bad. Hello, my name is Sangana Chohan, and I am a partner specialising in international tax and estate planning. In this episode, I will be speaking to Kelvin Tanner, a partner in our immigration team, about Sam's possible move to the UK. Hi, Kelvin, and thank you for agreeing to answer some questions about Sam. Pleasure. Um, So, as you know, Sam is a US citizen and she has met Chris, she's fallen in love with him and wants to move to the UK. So, really, I'd like to know from you what she needs to do to arrive in the UK and to let her live here freely. Um, Her first thought has been that as a US citizen, she can simply just rock up and start living and working here. Is that true? She can certainly travel to the UK. Um, So uh, as a US national, she's a non-visa national. Um, What that means is that you're permitted to travel to the UK as a visitor without obtaining a visa in advance. Um, But where you're entering as a visitor, um, it doesn't give you the right to kind of take up residence. Certainly wouldn't give you a right to work um, and to live in the UK. Um, So in the short term, if she wants to, to visit Chris in the UK, if he's already back in the UK, or if they want to sort of make trips for, for vacations to visit family and things, that's permitted. Um, but she's going to need to look at a longer term immigration solution before she moves to the UK. OK, so perhaps the fact that she's marrying Chris, we don't yet know exactly when they're going to get married. Nothing's set in stone yet, but she's planning on marrying him. They are, in fact, engaged. Does that make a difference? It, it, can, it can definitely make a difference. So I think at this stage with a client, we would normally be looking at kind of a range of immigration options. So the, the immigration options linked to kind of their relationship um, and their options if somebody is a fiance. Um, there's an option if you're a spouse and also if you have lived together in a relationship that's akin to marriage for a period of at least two years, um, which may or may not be the case. It's not clear from the facts um, that we have. We'd then be looking at kind of non-relationship based options. So individual ones to Sam, um, if she's just finished at Harvard Business School, you know, maybe that she has a job offer with a company that's able to sponsor her on a tier two visa. Um, if she has a wealthy family, um, it sounds like she does, then again, there would be potentially the option of maybe a tier one investor visa um, if she had um, at least two million pounds available for investment. So we'd have that initial meeting and also get a sense of whether she has any issues with having her status tied to Chris, um, as opposed to kind of having an individual status. Well, Sam tells me that she's very, very much in love with Chris and has no problem being tied to, to him for now. So could you just talk me through what a, what the difference is between a fiancé visa and a spousal visa is? Yeah, absolutely. So, so really the difference being um, the fiancé visa is for somebody who has already um, made arrangements to be married in the UK um, and the the visa allows them to enter the UK for the purpose of um, taking up eventual residence and they need to show that they will be married within six months of arrival Um, and then the intention is they will then switch across to the spouse visa once they're married and I think one of the things to flag 
is they wouldn't have a right to work initially, and that would only be once once they married and switched across to the spouse visa. And if they were planning to marry elsewhere, for example, in the US or, or kind of in a third country, um, then they would obtain the spouse visa once they are married, um, and that would allow Sam to enter the UK. Okay, so they haven't yet planned their wedding and don't really know whether they're going to get married in the next six months. So it sounds like the fiancé visa won't really work for them. And Sam might actually need to wait for the spousal visa. What would she need to show or what would Chris need to show in order to apply for that? Yeah, so for the spouse visa, there are kind of a range of, of requirements to be fulfilled. So um, there are, as with all UK visa applications, application certain suitability criteria, um, looking at people's kind of background and character and things. But we'll assume in this case, they're both upstanding citizens. Um, Absolutely. The relationship requirement needs to be met. So. Um, you need to show you're in a genuine assisting relationship. You need to show. And, and what would you need to show for that? Um, so depending on the circumstances, um, you know, we'd want to normally show that they are in a, a genuine relationship. So if, if most people these days might have been living together, and um, so they might have a sort of lease or tenancy agreement um, for, for their kind of home in the US. Um, any correspondence from official sources addressed to them both at the same address. Um, if they haven't been living together, that's not necessarily a problem, um, but we would still need kind of evidence of relationship, potentially look at evidence of the um, plans they've made for their wedding. Um, so at the time of that application, they, they may have, um, you know, uh, be able to submit kind of proof of booking their wedding venue and inviting guests, you know, payments for any, any of the costs of the wedding. That would, would also assist. Would would the uh, big shiny engagement ring that Chris has bought for Sam, would that be enough evidence? I mean, it, it's one of those things. There's not kind of one individual thing. Usually we want to look at things like um, cohabitation because ultimately they're, they're looking at kind of is it a genuine relationship, you know, and an individual piece of evidence like an engagement ring doesn't necessarily show there's a genuine relationship there. Okay, so assuming we can clear that hurdle because Sam and Chris are a genuine couple in a genuine relationship, what are the other requirements that they'll need to show? So um, one of the things that can be a problem for spouse visa applications and, and that we would want to discuss quite early on and probably that, that may even inform whether the spouse visa is the right option versus one of the other ones that we might look at. Um, is a financial requirement. So <clears throat> for the Appendix FM category, what this means is you either need to show that you have an income of at least £18,600 per year um, or cash savings of, of at least £62,500. Um, now, so, so just, what, to, just to double check, it's Chris who needs to show the income and the financial requirement. So they need to show that they meet it. Um, and depending on how you're trying to meet the income requirement or savings requirement, um, it can either be Chris's earning, Chris's income, or it can be both of their incomes. So for um, salaried employment, um, you can only rely on the, the British citizen's income. Um, so in this case, we would need to show that Chris has had a job um, and been earning at least um, 80000 £600 per year over the last six months um, or he's had kind of more than one job and there may have been gaps but we're looking at income over the previous 12 months and also that he has a job um, that will be starting within three months of his arrival in the UK 
if they're relocating, um, that will earn at least that level. Now, where you've been studying, it's quite likely they haven't got any income over the last six months. Um, we then need to look at, one, whether there is unearned income, which we could look at for both Chris and Sam. Um, that might be kind of income from investments, potentially um, trust income, if she's receiving kind of regular income from a trust or if Chris happens to be. Um, and then we would, as an alternative, look at savings. Savings is, is kind of, it can be a challenge. So the challenge is there's a formula for cal calculating how much you need to have as cash savings. Um, and where there are no children, as in this case, that, that amount would be £62,500. Um, you need to show that you've had the funds for at least six months. Um, and they need to be held as cash at the point that you're applying. Um, now, most people don't leave that amount of money kind of sat as cash in their account. Um, in some cases, it is possible to provide that or provide that evidence, but it may mean liquidating investments that it's just not a good time to, to liquidate. Um, so this is where sometimes we talk through what the requirements are and people may decide actually, we want to look at an alternative route. Um, and that might be an alternative route that they go down um, to the point of getting permanent residence, or they may use that route to initially enter the UK. And then once they can meet the financial requirement more easily, at that stage, they may switch across um, back onto the spouse route. So, for example, could Sam arrive in the UK as a tourist on her, on her well, without a visa, as you say, and then switch onto the spousal visa once they are married and able to show certain of these financial requirements? Yeah, so they wouldn't, um, they would never permit her to, to switch from being a tourist to being on, on a, a South or one of these routes. Um, so a tourist must always have a genuine intention of leaving the UK at the end of their visit. Um, there have been some exceptions made because of the COVID-19 measures, but rather than kind of confusing things with, uh, with those exceptions, the general rule is, is no, you wouldn't be able to do that. Um, so it would always be leaving the UK and, and then making your application. Okay, so actually the financial requirements could be problematic because even though Chris comes from a very wealthy family, he hasn't been earning any money for the last year whilst he's been studying and he doesn't have cash sitting around uh, ready for all of this. So we might need to think again about that. But if they are able to get over those financial hurdles, what happens if they go down the spousal visa route but eventually they get divorced? Would Sam then be kicked out of the country if she is relying on Chris and being married to him? So it would, it would depend um, kind of how long or how far down that road they got um, before they separated. Um, so the initial visa that, that would be issued to Sam would be uh, for 33 months. Um, now that visa can be extended from within the UK. Um, to be able to extend the visa, um, you need to show that you're still in a genuine subsisting relationship and need to show that you still meet the financial requirement, the accommodation requirement and all, all the requirements for your visa. They would then have the opportunity to apply for definite leave to remain after five years and again would only be eligible for that if the relationship was still subsisting. If Sam gets to indefinite leave to remain and then at some point after that they were to separate, then that would have no impact um, on her immigration status. If they were to separate within that first five years, then 
hoping that it's, it's not down to domestic violence. There is no kind of provision to extend the spouse visa once the relationships come to an end. So we would have to look at alternative immigration options for Sam, um, of which I'm sure there would be a number of options as she um, potentially has the means for the investor visa, but is also clearly highly educated. So we may be able to look at a tier two visa if she's working or something else. Um, but, but otherwise it could be a challenge. Okay, so I'm not sure that Sam's going to want to rely on Chris to that extent, because even though they are very much in love right now, she is a practical person and won't necessarily want to rely on him, especially if she could be left high and dry and stuck in the UK without a visa after five years. Um, so really, you've mentioned things like the investor visa. Could you talk me through what the requirements are for that and whether Sam might be eligible for that now? Yeah, so the, the Tier 1 Investor Visa, um, the, the kind of basic requirement um, is that you need to show that you have £2 million that's available for investment in the UK. Um, and if the money isn't already in the UK, you also need to show that the money can be transferred to the UK. Um, now, one thing we would need to explore with Sam kind of at the early sort of stage of the process is um, normally you need to show that you've held the £2 million for a period of at least two years. If Sam kind of wasn't planning to make this application, we don't know whether that would have been kind of there in her bank account for that full period. Um, alternatively, we can evidence the source of the funds. Um, and one option that, that we see quite often is for a wealthy family, the parents may choose to gift um, £2 million to Sam. And um, if, if that happened, um, then that would be kind of acceptable evidence of the source of the funds. Does um, money need to come in that situation directly from her parents or could it come from their revocable trust or something, some other entity that they, they're holding the money in? So we can also um, have money that's come from a trust and, and they're basically, if money has come from a trust, for example, that Sam's the beneficiary of, um, then there are, are documents that we need to provide um, the Home Office asked for like, a trust document basically explaining um, the money and that Sam is the beneficiary and then it has to be accompanied by a letter from a, a lawyer basically confirming the details. So yeah, that would be another way of evidencing it. Another option would be, and I know they, it sounds like they have a lot of property in the family, um, is if there was a property in Sam's name, um, she'd held that property for two years and the value of the property was at least two million pounds. And then they sold that and they, you know, she was relying on the proceeds of sales and, and that would be another way. So for, for a family like this, there, there are lots of um, different ways that they may be able to meet the, the requirements. Um, and really it would be able for us to kind of explore the different options with them and, and what evidence would be provided. I think this is going to sound very interesting to Sam. I think she will like the investor visa. But could you briefly mention what other types of visa might work for her? given that she won't be working yet, she hasn't had a job offer in the UK. Um, as you know, she is highly educated. Are there any other options she might go for that aren't the investor visa and aren't the spousal visa? So the the kind of other options really um, in the UK for US national would be um, based on either somebody coming in to study or somebody coming in to work. Um, given that she's only just finished the Harvard Business School, we can assume perhaps that she's finished her studies for the time being. Um, if she wants to work in the UK, unfortunately, as things currently stand, there is no, um, I guess, self-sponsored employment visa. So um, any employment visa 
um, for a sort of skilled worker has to be sponsored by a, a company or, or, or organization that's employing her. Um, so it would require that Sam has a job offer for a kind of graduate level role before she's coming to the UK. So basically they would sponsor her visa and then she applies for a visa in the tier two category. Post Brexit, one of the things the government have announced uh, within their sort of Im intended new immigration policy um, is provision for some sort of a highly skilled route where people are issued visas that will allow them to work based on, on things like qualifications, previous earnings, um, and, and kind of other criteria. But, but that's really in the initial stages and it's not, not fully been implemented yet. Okay, so if then Sam's other option really is that sort of employee employment category, would it yeah. work if Chris's family business created a job for her and just extended her a job offer for immigration purposes? So the key thing if they were doing that, so um, the company um, that they have that, that wishes to sponsor her would need to first of all hold what's uh, called a tier two sponsorship license. If they have that license, um, then they would assign a certificate of sponsorship to Sam for the role that they intend her to fill. Um, but it is very important that um, they are only sponsoring her based on having a genuine vacancy. Um, so they can't um, just use it for immigration purposes where there is no vacancy to be filled um, and no intention for her to kind of do the work. But, you know, she, as you said, she is a very skilled or highly skilled person. So, so it may well be that they do have a, a vacancy within the company and that she would be a good fit for that, in which case, you know, the tier two route may work. Um, we would also need to look at um, how much she would be paid by the company. Um, and if the salary is below £159,600 per year, the company would need to do a labour market test um, to show there's no suitably qualified settled worker that could fill the vacancy before they could offer it to her. So it is a possibility, but, but we would need to work quite closely with the company to make sure that, that, um, they, that Sam properly qualified for the visa. Okay. Um... This has all been really helpful, Kelvin. Thank you. And I think that the investor visa sounds really promising for Sam. And I will be suggesting that's the way she goes. One more question, and this is about the future. Sam and Chris are one day hoping to have children. What will be the status of those children? Will they be British citizens? Yeah, so, so because um, Chris is British, um, the children would be British whether they were born in the UK or overseas. <clears throat> the difference being if they are born in the UK, um, they will be British otherwise and by descent. If they were born overseas, um, then they are born as British citizens by descent, which means that they are British. Um, but if they had children, um, so if basically if Chris and Sam's children had children, um, their children would not be born as British unless they were born in the UK, okay. which is not the most kind of, is not normally going to drive where somebody gives birth to their children, um, but that can be a relevant, relevant factor. Okay, brilliant. That's uh, a bit far in the future, but it's always handy to know. Yeah. I, I think that's uh, everything I have for Sam and for Chris. So thank you for all of your help. My pleasure. Good to speak to you. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye.
Thank you for listening to this podcast, part of our series following Chris, a Brit and Sam from the US as we unpack some of the legal issues that they face as they start their lives together. You can find the rest of this series at the Charles Russell Speechley's website or on Podbean, iTunes or Spotify. This podcast discussed the UK and US issues at high level only based on current law and revenue practice. It does not contain legal advice. If you or your clients would like to know more about any of the issues we've discussed, please email us on untangled at crsblaw.com. This is a Charles Russell Speechley's podcast. 